0: Hi, folks, and welcome to UX Leadership by Design, the podcast by and for UX leaders. I'm your host, Mark Baldino. This podcast is and always will be brought to you by Fuzzy Math, the user experience design consultancy that brings consumer-grade UX to the enterprise. Fuzzy Math delivers award-winning digital product design and partners with internal UX design teams to augment, grow, and scale their impact. I'm also a founder, so I'm a bit biased. Uh, Today, we are fortunate enough to be talking to Nate Felt, a senior product designer at Amazon. Nate shares his advice on a familiar topic, stakeholder communication and management. And as we discuss, I think as designers, we feel design output, our UI, our deliverables are the most important thing. But when you make a transition to a design leader, you start to realize that how we communicate or how we sell design ideas is actually the most important skill set. But it's certainly a balance and there's lots to learn from Nate's story. So let's go.
1: Nate, how are you? Good, Mark. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. It's much appreciated. Happy to be here. Well, you know, as typical with these, uh, these sorts of conversations would love to get a sense of, um, you know, your UX journey, bit about your current role. Um, I always like to dial in on when people made the transition from being a kind of a design practitioner into the lead role. Sometimes it's really dramatic. Sometimes it's slower. Sometimes I don't even realize it's happening. But, um, you know, given that we're really targeting design, you know, UX design leaders would love to know that that sort of part of part of your journey in particular.
1: Sure. Yeah. Happy to talk about that. So, I think, like a lot of people in the field, I did not necessarily have a direct path into UX. So, my initial goal was to uh, create movies uh, or or commercials. I was wanting wanting to be a video production. I uh, did some video work in the past for a couple companies for some local radio and TV. I did have a local radio station. Uh, I was on the Blend 107.9. And so I was into broadcasting, and which is, I think, relevant in the sense that it tells, it's all about digital storytelling. So being able to tell a story, to uh, share a vision. Um, and then I ended up actually taking a different track. I ended up pursuing psychology, got my master's in clinical psych, and I uh, did some counseling for juvenile offenders. And then the economy crashed, and I ended up wanting to try a different route. Uh, so I ended up going into a little bit more of a technical role um, combined with entrepreneurship. And that actually led me into the role I'm in today. So I've been in this field for about 14 years uh, in the Bay Areas where I, I'm located at companies, both small and large, uh, just doing the UX process. And it, it's changed names a couple of times over the years. I think I started it was usability engineer, uh, interaction designer, um, now I'm a product designer uh, and, and manager now, but uh, yeah, it's been an interesting, uh,
0: interesting journey. Yeah, that's. I think I've shared all of those titles at some point. Sometimes it was like make it up as you go because no right. one really knew what to call you. I, I, I spent the longest time as an, as an information architect, and uh, that stuck until like the mid aughts, and so that was the, you know, a big part of my career. And then UX as a term became more kind of mm-hmm. accepted, and people started started using that. So. Um, I've talked to a lot of people. I've had a lot of folks that work for me or designers I've worked alongside that that have a psychology background. Um, I sometimes think the parallel is like, I feel like a lot of musicians are, are developers. Um, they have like a tech background and a music background. And a lot of us folks have uh, like a psychology background, but you did like clinical psychology. Yeah. Like, what, what was the, what, is there a connection between the two? Maybe things that have helped you um, in your sort of design career that, that you gained from the clinical psychology side of the world?
1: Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Uh, I mean, there's a, there's a number of different things I've taken from it. I think one of the things I've taken from it is there is a cognitive, uh, aspect, um, in terms of what we do, right. Just knowing for instance, that a person's attention span, um, is, is very limited. You only can keep seven things in your brain, give or take. Um, is going to help in the design process. Knowing about color theory uh, is going to help in the design process. So there's that cognitive aspect of what humans are capable of that you are always bringing into the designs uh, in terms of, of just the Hicks law or or any of those principles come from psychology. Um, I think the other aspect of it, which is probably less, uh, which maybe I even use more, is the the counseling aspect of it. So I'll just give you an example. In psychology, there's this concept of attribution. Uh, it's basically how it describes how we see people. So we naturally see people in such a way that uh, we kind of assume that anything that they do is based on their personality and who they are, whereas for us, it's more circumstantial. And so you have kind of this predisposed bias to automatically assume when someone's kind of coming at you with a problem or a solution that, oh, that's just, you write you write it off that that's who they are as a person rather than it's what they're trying to accomplish based on their needs and their goals. And so just having this background, I'm able to have much richer conversations, I think, with individuals, stakeholders, um, my, my team. And that's something that you really, UX is just as much about sales as it is about um you know, design and understanding our users. And I just feel like psychology has to be in there somewhere.
0: Yeah. Can you talk more about that sales? I mean, you mentioned helping your team maybe understand that process, Um, talking to like stakeholders. Uh, I don't think a lot of designers see themselves as salesperson, salespeople. Listen, I started as a practitioner of design, started a firm, I'm the lead sort of like uh, uh business development person at, at Fuzzy Math, and I still am like, I'm not a salesperson. But what, so first, I'd love to understand, like, w- talk more about how we have to sell, what we need to do as designers to, to sell, and maybe if you understand that sort of hesitation that people have, because selling sounds, um, I think selling puts people, is off-putting to some folks.
1: Sure. Sure. Yeah, it is. I I was in uh, retail sales. I understand because the idea behind sales, I think in a lot of people's minds is forcing something to someone who doesn't want it. And that's not really what we're talking about here. Um, What we're really talking about, I'm going to borrow a quote actually. I like uh, Tom Greer writes a book, Articulating Design Decisions. And it's, if you... If you're new in the field, most of us, I think I've been in the field a while, have had to learn this in the trenches. But if you're new to the field, it's a good book to read. But he says the key to our, uh, being articulate is to understand both the message you want to communicate and the response you want in return. And I think that's where I, when I talk about that video production background and, and telling that story. That's really what the essence is here. It's really understanding the message you want to communicate and the response you want in return. And you really need to know your users to do that. You need to know who you're talking to. So really when we say sales, it's really understanding the message, understanding the audience, and then being able to articulate in such a way that you're able to show the value that you're bringing. Um, and, and that's really what we're doing, right? Whereas designers are really, we our goal, um, and I, I might be getting a tangent here, so forgive me, but a lot of people see us as design. When they see design, they think of aesthetics. I often ask when I uh, join a a company or join a team. I often ask, you know, if I was a, if we were talking about building a house, what role would you see me as? And sometimes I'll, I'm not surprised, but I'll get the the term. Well, I see you as an interior designer, Designer. right? You know, you you make things look pretty. Can you make this look pretty? Is often the response I'll get. Yes, I can, but that's not the value that I bring to the team. It's really bringing, uh, you know, good design is really about solving problems. Yes, there's an aesthetic part of that, but in the end, good design is about solving problems. If you don't solve the problem that the user has, it might be a aesthetically pleasing design, but it's not a good design because it didn't do what it needed to do. And so in reality, I think just getting back to the the idea of sales, it's being able to show who you're communicating with, whoever that is, how this does that. And that—that's why I think yeah you have to you have to be able to sell a design if you want to be a successful designer. You could do the, all the best work in the world, put it all up on Behance or Dribble, but if you haven't really gotten buy-in from your stakeholders and your team, it's not going to go anywhere. Yeah,
0: that's great. I want to go back into the buy-in um, uh, concept there, but I love the idea of flipping the metaphor and asking people where they perceive you are. Right? Versus I'm the. I'm the architect um, and I'm the GC. I don't know what the role is that that I would say, but I feel like it's more like the architecture role and and structure and form and function. And then the statics kind of comes later. But I love the idea of kind of asking people, not you're putting them on their their back heels, but you're sort of like, where do you see me? And that facilitates a different conversation than I am this and you must see me as that. Um, and I think it's an interesting sort of flip there. What, what I mean, stakeholder management, stakeholder conversations you you even use the term user and i think you were talking about like stakeholders as your users and i don't always know if um, i don't want to misspeak there but i don't always think designers think about the stakeholder they're thinking about the end user the customer the person who's going to use the software at the end of the day but when we're talking about sales it's really about internal kind of sales with with our team or the the stakeholders somebody who has the the controls the purse strings or budget and stuff like that you know what's unique about stakeholder management what do you tell your team like this is how we need to understand our stakeholders and how to respond to them
1: Yeah, great questions. All great questions. So oftentimes when I'm approaching a project, especially one that I don't have a lot of context or maybe I'm new, I'll do a stakeholder mapping. And and I do include users in that. So a stakeholder mapping is just getting a good understanding of who's going to be impacted by this project. Who's going to have a say in this project? I might even do a RACI and understand, you know, what role they're going to be involved with in that time. RACI, um, I think it's, it's been a while, responsible, informed, consulted, just the, the different basically um, how you're going to be presenting the information to them will really also determine what impact they have on your project, which is why I bring that up. Um, but then there's could be a number of different roles uh, in addition to your user that you need to tailor the message to. So, for instance, if I'm talking to like an executive uh, or a manager that uh, is looking at a project, my goal in this case is they're very busy. So I want to get them up to speed as quickly as possible, present the solution as clearly as possible, getting to the point and really bringing it back to how it accomplishes the goals that they care about. Whereas if I'm talking to an engineer, my message is going to be very, a very different message, right? They really care about not having to do rework, you know, about being efficient, um, making sure that it that, that what they're doing, how it ties back to code efficiency. So it's going to be a very different message. So I, what I try to do with um, my team is really make sure that when they're going to any meeting, they they know who they're talking to. They know kind of where that person's coming from. And then they tailor the message as such. So you're not going to have a one-size-fits-all presentation approach. You're going to do some background. You're going to do some research on that person. You might even talk to – maybe it's going to be a very difficult meeting, and you need to talk to a couple people beforehand to get their buy-in or to get their approval so that when you come to that meeting, you know it's going to be a successful meeting. You're prepared to have those conversations.
0: How does your team respond to that? Like, hey, we need to tailor our message. We need to um – I don't know if you use the term sell, but we need to be sort of like presenting our ideas and with slightly different purposes in mind, depending on the audience. Cause I think sometimes designers feel like, no, what I'm doing is representing the voice of the user. And what I've done is I've done my research, I've synthesized it. I've built this or I've designed this part of the application. And I feel strongly that it's research backed and it's voice of the customer voice of the user. This is the right way to go. And it's, it's more that approach. And, and I'm, I'm uh, guilty of doing it all the time. So like, this more consultative, tailor your message, like it's. I feel like some people wouldn't be offended by it, but would be like, "No, that's not human centered. That's not user centered. We're now making amends for other folks within the organization." But did you get any pushback like that, or how does how do you get around some of those issues?
1: Yeah, not. I think what you're saying is, or what you're bringing up is a good point to be clear to put a box around this really what i'm saying is really the communication style and the approach when it comes to actually designing what you're designing i, I do completely agree that you need to know you need to design 100% for the user in mind we don't want to we don't want to design for really um, anybody uh or we don't want to get distracted by anybody else like and i can't tell you how many times i've been on uh, doing design work CEO or VP comes in and then says, well, I think this should be, this doesn't seem right. Maybe this should go here or this should be blue, right? Um, that, that, what I'm talking about really is how to have those conversations uh, in a in very meaningful way to not get derailed on the presentation of a design. But it doesn't actually, the design itself, um, you really do want to be really always thinking, what's the problem I'm trying to solve? How is this benefiting my users? And, you know, what's their backstory? Uh, I think, I think it was Maya Angelou that said, you really don't know where you're going until you, you know where you've been. I love that. And that applies to um, a lot of what we do in design. I'll give you an example of that I'm currently working with. I work under uh, FGBS for Amazon. And so right now I'm solving financial problems. And some of the problems i'm solving have never been solved before they're brand new we, we've done things very manually and now we're looking to automate a lot of that well the the user group that that presents really unique challenges because some of the solutions while maybe still digital are not cloud based they might not they might be done in a very different way and so what we're looking to do is really know, first of all, what what's the history? We're, what's the user been experiencing in the past? What's their pain points? What's their problems? Now, how can we think of a brand new way to do this? And then now then, once you have a good understanding there, then when you're having these different conversations, let's just say project managers who I'm talking to, project managers are going to care a little bit differently about um, what engineers or they're going to be caring about their timeline they're going to be caring about their schedule they might be caring about some it, it being unique and innovative so again it's more like tail taking the design that you have and then tailoring the message around that to see how it solves those specific pain points that 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 customer uh, i want to call them customer here but yeah. meaning it could be your product owner your project manager that i'll just call them your customer but that customer has and, you know, you're doing it in UX already with your with the design. Now you just need to do it with the message as well.
0: Yeah, that's great. It's great. I think, um, you yeah, know, people use the word empathy a lot. And uh, yeah. we empathize a lot with our with our users. And, and we need to empathize with everyone that we're working with and understand where they're coming from. And as you said uh, earlier, how to tailor your message towards them. How do you see, like some of your internal partners in in the process. You've talked about engineering, um, talked a little bit about kind of business. Um, I'm assuming product is involved, project management. Like how, what do you see the role of UX in that ecosystem of internal partners? Who are your greatest champions? Or do you find certain champions for certain parts of the process and other champions in other parts of the process? What's that ecosystem? Maybe like either in previous work experience in or specifically at, at Amazon?
1: Yeah, good Good question. I think it probably is dependent oftentimes on the company and the culture, because I can say that it's been different people and different um, roles at different places. Uh, so you kind of got to figure out right away, actually, who are your champions? Because um, you might find them in places that you would be surprised about. In my last role, uh, I was working for Guaranteed Rate, and I, I found the champions being in product. Um, And oftentimes you really, you're going to be working extremely closely with product. Product really owns the, and again, this probably would depend on the company, but uh, in in that case, product really owned the complete vision and roadmap for what we were looking to build. And so really being close to them in terms of what that is and getting synergy in that area was really important. It's it's really important that they are, you know, kind of be, because they're going to be having conversations that you might not be able to have and the company i'm at now in amazon uh just because our what we're doing is somewhat new i'm the only ux person um right now um we are hiring we're building out a team but i'm the i'm the only one in, in this role and uh until i have until i can get others to to join yeah. and so i i'm Basically, need advocates. I need uh, people that can help with the design because I don't have that bandwidth to to oversee everything. So for me, actually, it's been the engineers, uh, product and engineering. You know, not not just really exciting to see. Actually, I, I I have product people that are exploring designs with me, even getting their hands dirty with, with wireframing. Uh, I have engineers uh, that Who's have picked engineers? up. Yeah. Uh, well, that was product, but I have engineers that even picked up Sketch and uh, we're having rich conversations and you're not going to get that everywhere. So I might be yeah. um, I might be talking about the, an, an ideal use case. But in reality, yeah, it really does. Um, I would say to bring it back to the question, it depends on f- where who you are, but you're going to want to be really close to product and really close to engineering because mm-hmm. those two, um, if they're not on board, you're going to have a hard time uh, selling it anywhere else. And then, of course, then who's that executive that you can have, that you can go to, that you can have conversations with? Again, it might just be about understanding not just what you're trying to give to them, but what are they trying to accomplish? You know, what does this, there might be some politics involved. What does this delivery give them? Uh, And then what are they trying to get out of this release? So just being cognizant of that. And yeah, hopefully that... uh, that's a good starting point, at least.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's, um, that's great. Any tips on advocate identification? Like, it sounds like in the case of Amazon, like, you was really designers and engineers. And, you know, I don't know if it was different. It sounds like it was different at guaranteed rate. But, like, what's, what are some clues, tips in terms of, like, I'm looking at it, maybe I'm new at a role or I'm working with a new group within an organization. Like, how do you go about finding those advocates for, for UX?
1: Sure. I mean, there's really, it's really easy initially, if you don't know and you're new, two things I would say right away. One, look at who's vocal in the calls, who's decision makers in the calls. You, you, you have a, if all the engineering's on board, but you don't have any decision makers uh, as well, that's going to be tough to push that. Uh, so decision making, I think making sure. And then also too, who's excited about the product? Who's passionate about the product? I think honestly, to sell anything, you have to have passion about it. You have to be excited about what you're delivering. And so people that are going to have passion about that are going to get people on board and get them engaged. So uh, again, passion and decision makers are both two really good indicators um, if you are new to that place and you're not necessarily sure who should re- reach out to.
0: Fantastic. I love I love the idea of giving people really concrete um, advice as they're looking around a room or listening in on calls or just getting up to, to speed. Um, and then pair that with your previous comments of do some mapping and understanding of who they are and what their goals and drivers are, what their pain points are. So you can craft your communication as a design lead or as a designer as well to, um, to those folks. Um, you mentioned you're the only designer right now, which I imagine even as you try to grow and scale, you're running into, um, you can only scale Nate so much. And, uh, and, and then he's out of time during the day. Like, how are you? How are you handling sort of your own resource constraint, and I maybe you have other resource constraints that you're you're working under in the current role. But one is just like I'm a solo designer. Like, what are you? How are you? How are you managing that?
1: Sure, there's lots of constraints. Definitely, when when uh, I think that I I'm trying to think of the numbers here exactly, but I know that we end up we have three thousand people in just in our area of uh, FGBS of Amazon alone. And and so there's a lot, uh, being that I'm the only UX, you can imagine there would be a lot of demands uh, for time. And and so one thing I've had to do to help stretch myself, because I have deliverables and projects like everybody else that that I have to get done, is to try to teach design as well. So I think in a company like this, when you have so few of you, you need to kind of make like design advocates or design clones, if you will. And so we had this thing called Lunch and Learn where we anybody can volunteer to speak on topics. And just the one I I did with somebody recently was on journey mapping, how to tell journey mapping stories. So journey mapping uh, is something that you really should always have like a customer map or journey map before you go into designing a product. And not a lot of projects I know do go right into trying to solve the problem without really being clear of the customer's journey. So that was important to us to really make sure that those who are in our team have an understanding of what that is and how to do that. So yeah, I I would say teaching is probably a big thing that you can do, um, helping other people. I I did mention before that we have our product people doing some wireframes. Every other company I've been at, I I would abhor that. I would be like, no, don't touch the wireframes. But now being in this new environment, I have a different perspective of that entirely. And I'm actually, it's been very helpful to have already conceptualized wireframes uh, with a product person explored, because that's great for them to get their thoughts and ideas out on paper. And we can have a much richer conversation that way. So they often do the, the low fidelity and then I would take up the higher fidelity and not every company you want to do that, but in this case, it's working on very well for us. And even to have some engineers, not a lot, but we have a few that are playing around in sketch. Um, you know, that's I think that's a great thing. I'm not I'm not so I don't hold our design so tight that I won't let people play around in, the, in those mediums because it will help me in the long run if they understand color and how we work in our space just as much as it, it helps them when i understand more about the code and the technology that we're building on we can have much richer conversations so i i think those are the two things that i i do um and then just set expectations that's always another thing you know unfortunately, when there's just one of you, and you might be a solo designer in a, an org or a company. I've done this in, in a number of companies where I was the only designer. You just basically have to set expectations that this is what I can deliver. This is kind of what we want to look at. And this is the vision of, I, I see our team going, but just know I'm very limited in, in what I can do. And this is what I need your help with.
0: That's great. That's great. I, I really appreciate that. I like the idea of sort of advocates or or clones. There's There are skills that we... Performance designers that sometimes we think only we can do, and um, you know, I think something like journey map really clear that that's a shared task. A bunch, a bunch, of different groups. I applaud you for embracing having other folks do UI design and you know low fidelity because I think you're right. A lot of designers to be like, whoa, whoa, I'm not, I'm not handing you know my my sketch uh files over my figma files <laughs> over you can come in and comment. you have comment access you do not have edit access in figma um sure. but that's great and as you said that's a one of the things i think a lot of folks are struggling with as design leads is how to scale their team and grow their teams with limited resources and tools and hours and you know i feel like overall the people look at the global economy and are tightening things up a little bit for you know next six months or so so I think everyone's kind of working under some constraints, but one of the things that doesn't sound like it's constrained is other folks in other roles that are willing to embrace the UX process and do some work for you. And I think that that's, you know, that's to your benefit and ultimately to the products benefit at the end of the day. Agreed. Yeah. Well, awesome. Nate, I wanted to wrap up here. It's been an amazing conversation to learn about your journey, but um, you know, how you uh, uh, are helping your team and other teams sort of with, Stakeholder management, uh, partnerships with other folks, bringing people into the design process and, and sort of teaching. I think that's that's really important. Um, I, you did mention um, communicating design decisions as a, a resource you recommended. So I'll, I'll certainly link in that. Any other resources that are your sort of go-tos either for designers or for do- design leads you wanted to mention?
1: I mean, there's so much. The nice thing about our space now, and Mark, you probably know this because it's changed a lot in the last since I've been in 14 years in the space. Is there's so many people uh, are sharing research, sharing designs, sharing what they what they've done. So I'm on Medium, um, constantly reading articles about just kind of like new ideas. Um, sometimes it's just being on Dribble looking at inspiration. But there's no shortage of stuff on the web. Uh, of this stuff i mean anybody that's listening to this already is probably thinking of how growing uh, just through podcast and understanding of their craft and i think that's the right approach i mean i i would say there's not one source in particular because i'm constantly on the web uh, looking at anything and everything i think i was just yesterday looking at some youtube videos of uh how to uh, just sell, sell some specific financial, like how to do some type of modeling, uh metric and modeling and how they've done it in, in this other software. So yeah, again, don't, don't limit yourself. The sky's the limit. There's just, if you have a lot of desire to grow in our field, there is no shortage of resources out there.
0: That's great. Just be curious, I think is the is the be curious. Yep. The, Love uh, that. You know, advice there. And um, we'll include a link to your maybe your LinkedIn profile. So if people want to connect sure. with you and reach out and, and continue conversations, they can do that. But Nate, again, thank you for your time today and for sharing your journey and, and some lessons for for our audience. It's much appreciated.
1: Mark, really enjoyed talking to you. It's great to be here.
0: Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.